Well, guys, it is September 21st, and the MMA Ratings Podcast is finally back. You know, this change from Google Hangouts to YouTube Live kind of threw a curveball at me uh, last week, so I was unable to get the job done, but I spent some time doing some research, got everything set up, and we should be good to go. So we are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings podcast. We have a few things to talk about this evening. Um, first and foremost, uh, Schwann is on his way to join me here, my great co-host. We'll be here uh, We'll be here to talk some things MMA. And yeah, so we have quite a bit to talk about this week. Um, some things have definitely popped up. And we have everything from Chell Sonnen to Chell Sonnen to talk about UFC Fight Night 94 this weekend. We have UFC 205 to talk about. We have some fighters kind of becoming more important names over the last couple weeks. So we got quite a bit to talk about. So instead of waiting for my partner, I'm going to jump right in start this conversation because I hope today's show will probably run about an hour, hour and a half. Thank you for joining us if you are listening to us live, if listening to us another day later or so. You know, we appreciate your listen. We appreciate your like. Check us out on YouTube at MMA Ratings and catch us at MMARatings.net. You can follow us on You can, you can catch us on Twitter. You can, um, you can catch us there. You can catch us on Instagram, MMA Ratings. You can catch us all over the place. Um, so be sure to check out everything that we have, all of our great content on the website. You know, myself, Adam Martin, does some writing for us as well. He's a big name in the sport. So, yeah, MMARatings.net is growing. We've grown since 2009, and we're just going to continue heading in the right direction. So let's just go ahead and start with today's show. So I don't have an agenda in play because I've been kind of busy from work. But, uh, yeah, I don't have an, an complete agenda together. However... I can definitely um, run this show without it. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the first topic of the day. And let's talk UFC 205, which is probably, in my opinion, the bigger piece of news because there's been so many fights that have been announced for this card. Obviously, UFC 205 is the first event to be held at Madison Square Garden. It's set for November 12th, I believe. Uh, let's see, UFC 205, November 12th in Madison Square Garden. It's the first time they've had an event since UFC 7 back in 1995. So let's talk about this card. Um, we have Donald Cerrone versus Kelvin Gastelum. This is the fight that was is replacing the planned fight with Robbie Lawler. You know, originally those two were supposed to meet. Everybody was excited about that matchup. Unfortunately, it fell through, um, which happens from time to time in, in, in this game. It seems to be more often than not. But we're getting with Kelvin Gastelum, uh, Gastelum excuse me, stepping up because he is um, he's a surging welterweight who is going to be a tough test for Cerrone. A lot of people have kind of slept on 
slept on him at 170, but he's just been looking so good over the last couple of fights, especially with the way he dispatched, um, what's the guy's name, Rick Story a couple weeks back. So this is a good fight for both of them. Um, it'll be interesting to see who comes out with a win here. If, if Cerrone gets a win, man, it's hard to deny him a title shot right after Damian Maya. So we'll see what happens. This is a pretty big fight. I'm looking forward to hearing how Schwann breaks this down when he gets on. But um, that is one fight that was announced, made official today. It has been announced a couple weeks back. The same thing with uh, Frankie Edgar and Jeremy Stevens. That fight was rumored a couple weeks back, but is now made official. We also have Rashad Evans versus the returning Tim Kennedy. You know, this is a big fight, too, because on one side you have Rashad that's kind kind of making that last run, man. He's never been the same since getting defeated by Leo Machida. That was almost, man, 10 years ago and probably a little more than that, actually, because I was still at ESPN at the time. So, yeah, he's never been the same since then. And on the other hand, you have Tim Kennedy, a guy who's a threat at middleweight but has spent some time away since that controversial loss to Yoel Romero a few years back as well. So those two guys are going to mix it up at middleweight. Then you have um, Tim Bosch and Rafael Rafael Natal, two guys, um, top 15ers in middleweight, but neither one of them are really like a, a overwhelming threat to that division. Actually, Natal is the only one that's a top 15er. I'm guessing that Bosch is probably a little bit below that but you know neither one of those guys are really a huge huge name in the division but it's still an interesting fight and then you also have caitlin chuk again the new um the newest probably the newest name in the women's bantamweight division and she's fighting liz carmouche who hasn't fought in more than a year i think that's a good fight for chuk again um she's one of frankie eggers teammates fighting out of team ricardo almeida in new jersey and basically henzo gracie in new york so that's going to be a great fight there too but UFC 205 is definitely coming together. It's a card that I think has potential to be a, a big, big show. And what's more interesting about that is because right now we don't have a main event for this fight. Um, it seems like a lot of guys are trying to jockey for the position. Right now I'm hearing rumors that Eddie Alvarez and Khabib Nurmagomedov is going to be the main event. But originally the rumors were that... Conor McGregor was going to fight Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight title, which was going back and forth. You know, Alvarez and and um, Conor have been taking shots at each other for the past couple past couple of months since since the yeah I want to say maybe even before the Diaz fight, um, the last Diaz fight, Alvarez was taking shots at uh, at, at Conor. So this is. This is a fight that, if made, have a. I would love to see it. Um, me and Sean talked about it last time we were on a couple weeks back, and he thought that Connor would take that fight, and I, I and I, I would just love to see it fight out. But it looks like this fight is not going to happen, even though both parties went back and forth. As um, it's it hasn't been it hasn't been announced officially that Michael Madoff is the guy uh, that Alvarez will be facing next, but that is kind of where the tone has changed. So that would be one hell of a main event there. You know, Alvarez is definitely a Northeastern guy. He's right there from Philly. So he has that 
attraction within New York as well too. Namarga Madoff is that man who's kind of been looming over the, the lightweight division for an extended period of time. He's a name that's just been out there, never been defeated, but he's dealing with multiple injuries upon injuries upon injuries. I think he's only fought once in the last three years or so. So that's that's definitely a concerning point if he's put in this main event position. They gotta have a backup plan. I definitely believe that they gotta have something something in the back pocket if this fight was to fall through due to Khabib's uh, prone proneness to get inju- injured um, before big fights and you know say say it might be wrong of me to say so regardless of the fact it's happened I mean he's only fought he fought once he fought this past April he got injured after that because he was supposed to fight Tony Ferguson he fought Rafael Dos Anjos back in 2014 and then he fought uh, twice three times in 2013. So, I mean, that's what, three years, five fights? That's not very active at all. When you look at guys like Neil Magny and Donald Cerrone, who are fighting five and six, almost five and six times in a year. So, of, of course, you have you have that concern. You know, he's 23 and 0. He's definitely deserved the position that he's in. I believe the UFC has him ranked right now. They have him ranked number one in the division. He's been there for quite a little while, but he's just never gotten that title shot because of injuries. So we'll see if this fight is made official, if he is actually put in that position, and we'll see if he makes it to the um, if he makes it to the fight. Uh, we still have a little more than three months, excuse me, a little less than three months away from this November fight. I hope he gets there so we can finally see if he's the guy to really rule over that lightweight division, like so many people think he really uh, may be. But UFC, UFC 205 is definitely coming together. I think it's going to be a great card. I don't think it's going to be as big as UFC 202, where uh, Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz basically shattered all of UFC records before him. Because while Alvarez is a great champion, uh, he's he, he's someone I, I could definitely see as a great champion, and Demarco Madoff is a great challenger. Even with that fight, other than Donald Cerrone, maybe Frankie Edgar, this fight doesn't really have a lot of star power. Um, Rashad Evans has carried a pay-per-view in the past, too, so he's he's done good numbers against um, Quentin Rampage and against John Jones in the past, but I don't know if he's still that same type of blockbuster um, marquee name, but... Being the first show in New York is definitely going to have some drawing power as well. So there's going to be some um, attention. There's going to be some headlines made from that show. So, yeah, UFC 205 is coming together. I'm looking forward to this event, and I'm liking what I'm seeing here. Definitely liking what I'm seeing here. I think the UFC is doing a great job. And in speaking of uh, matchmaking, News also broke today that the UFC has replaced Joe Silva. Uh, you know, Silva left um, a few weeks back. It was big news that he was going to be leaving the UFC, which was kind of, you know, a major event because Silva was such a, you know, he was such a force behind the scenes, creating fights, making big fights. He's been there for, I want to say, almost 20 some odd years. So to see him walk away, people thought that that was going to be a huge hole within um, the organization, and I still believe it is. But they have we found a replacement, and that individual. Uh, let me see if I can find his name. Give me one second. Here we go. So 
Mark, Mick Maynard from Legacy FC. Uh, he was a former owner of that regional promotion. He will now be joining Sean Shelby uh, as the matchmakers behind the scenes. Uh, Shelby is getting basically a promotion to the lead, lead position. And uh, Shelby has been promoted to Senior Vice President of Talent Relations. And Maynard will be known as the Vice President of Talent Relations. Um, and the two will work together to organize UFC bouts, develop athletes on a roster, and scout potential talent. This was announced on Wednesday, today? Yeah, today's the you know, yesterday, excuse me, yesterday afternoon. And... So see, like, let's, if you don't, I mean, you may not be familiar with Maynard's name, but he's, uh, has 10 years of MMA, um, experience and he played a part in working with guys such as, uh, Henry Cejudo. He helped Holly Holm, Sage Northcutt, Valentina Shevchenko. So he definitely, I mean, if you think about it, three of those four names have, uh, excuse me, two of those names have challenged for titles. One's a former champion. Valentina Shevchenko is pretty basically considered the number one, almost the number one contender, number two contender for women's bantamweight. And then you have Sage Northcutt, who has become a very big star in um, in the promotion, even though he many people think he doesn't get there, doesn't deserve to be there. But that's another conversation for another day. Still, uh, Maynard is a decent; he's a good replacement. I'm looking forward to seeing what what happens. Um, and I, I, I think that this is going to help maintain like the status quo in a sense. I don't think it's going to, you're not going to see any major impacts. You're not going to see any major wave changes, but you know, this is, it's good to see them find a way to replace, um, Joe Silva. I wish, you know, when I first talked about this, I talked about Julie Kezi, who has been a force for Invicta, has been the driving force behind that promotion. I wish they would have put her into that position because it would have helped with some diversity within the UFC. But uh, I'm not, I don't know if that conversation was ever had at any point. One second, folks. But I don't know if that conversation was ever had at any point in time. It would have been great to see her in that role. It would have been great to see them doing because they don't they don't really have a very um, diverse leadership group, at least from what is presented to the public. But that's another conversation for another day. I think that's a huge, huge conversation that um, I'm surprised I actually haven't had it uh, myself. Maybe that's something I'll talk about on technical foul, which is my other podcast where I talk about race and sports, but that may be just another conversation for another day. But still, you know, that is the latest news on how the UFC has replaced Sean Shelby. So, let me see, Sean, I think you are now in on the show. How you doing there, sir? Uh, just dealing with the technical difficulties on my end. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. It's glad to have you here, man. We are finally back. I got everything up and running. You should have seen what I had to go through to get um, get past these new changes with uh, live streaming online. However, we are good to go. Um, you know that, means, and- Raphael, that, that just means the powers that be know we're a threat. <laughs> They're trying to cut into our, cut into our ratings because they know we're coming after the big shows now. 
I, hey man, I'm I'm glad to be there. You know, the more of a threat we become, the more money I, that 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 we get. So, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to doing bigger shows um, and having bigger conversations. Actually, there is an an individual I'm trying to set up set up some interviews uh, for the next couple of weeks. So you and I will have a conversation about that too. But that's another that's an offline conversation. But um, yeah, we're definitely growing. Right. We're heading in the right direction. So y'all gotta pay extra to get the offline conversations. Right now, y'all just get. Y'all get the MMA discussion. You didn't get the good stuff until y'all pay extra. Yes, exactly. So um, I'm glad you hopped in. You hopped in right at a, at, a, at a good time. I was talking UFC 205. And have you seen the fight announcements for this card in New York? Have you seen the, um, all the bouts that, be, that have been planned? You know, the funny thing is I, I haven't seen it because I've I just been really busy today. All I've been hearing is a lot of people not seeming too excited about what, they, what they're offering. So... Uh, I don't know if it's just people being let down because they had higher expectations or people were just just trolling the internet because they don't they want to take shots at the UFC. Man, I think it right um I want to address that in a second, but I think I'm going to give you the the card. Right now they've officially announced uh Donald Cerrone versus Kelvin Gastelum, Frankie Edgar versus German Stevens, Rashad Evans versus Tim Kennedy, Tim Boach versus Rafael Natal and Caitlin Chukigan versus Liz Carmouche. Now Speaking to what you just said, I think that people were so excited at the idea of Donald Cerrone and Robbie Lawler fighting that the fact that that card has that that fight has fallen off already has caused people to have you know that negative reaction. Whatever whatever not whatever fight was going to be announced um, for, for Cerrone was going to get this type of response because everybody was immediately excited about the idea of him fighting Robbie Lawler. I mean, I would have sat and watched that even if I wasn't getting paid for it. So there's that situation. And then on top of it, which is still a good thing, there hasn't been a main event announced. Obviously, Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez was the initial idea of what was going to go down. But um, what I'm seeing now is that it's Khabib Nurmagomedov has been tapped as the challenger to headline UFC 205. So what are your thoughts about that? Like, is this, what, tell me, talk to me about that main event, about that potential main event and about the rest of the card. Well, first of all, the rest of the, this card, it sounds like a good card, but the thing about it is this is supposed to be like, you haven't been able to do shows in New York history of MMA and now you finally get into it. So you would think they'd come in all guns blazing and pull out whatever stops they had to pull out to make that big that big first impression, uh, you know, Madison Madison Square Garden. But I mean, this is like almost like a TV card. I don't even know if this is a pay per view card. To be quite honest, I mean, the main event. It's a it would, Khabib's a good fighter. I mean, but he has, he hasn't fought very much. He's only fought once because he's been in and out of injury for the past what two years now. I was actually so, just talking like, about that. He fought once this year, once uh, he fought once this year, once in 2014, and then three times in 2013. I'm just, I mean, like he—he's a guy who's known to hardcores, and and he's a good fighter. But we haven't really seen him in with elite guys yet. Nobody's seen him in with anybody elite. We have no idea what he does against. You know, a guy who's on that run or who's really in that top five, top ten. We know what he did to RDA before, but I mean, it's not even a fight. It's not even he's not even a fighter who, who draws a lot of eyes outside of hardcore fans. Like that's not the guy who's gonna get you a big rating 
and uh, bring you in, like sell out, sell out Madison Square Garden. And I can't imagine the UFC wants to go into that, go into the, the garden and not sell out. When I mean, boxing shows regularly show sell out there. It, it just seems like, unless they have one, unless they have something else planned out their sleeves, I don't see how this doesn't backfire on them tremendously. You know, I mean, I know they think people are just dying to see MMA in in New York City, but you know, I, I would think people would expect more of a a balanced and more action-packed card. I mean, this is a good card, but it's not a great one. It's definitely not the one that's going to get the masses excited about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned if, if people will get really excited. I think it will happen over time because um, it's the first event in UFC for, excuse me, it's the first event in New York, NYC, since 1995. So I think there's going to be excitement in that sense, um, I think they're going to do huge gangbuster numbers at the gate. But, yeah, from a watching point of view, I think whatever fight that they get as this main event has to be a um, has to be a big, big event. It has to be something that is, is, it stops people and makes them think, okay, what it, – it makes people stop and say, okay, this is a night – that I cannot afford to miss. And um, they're heading in that direction, but I just don't know if they're going to get there totally right now without a big name main event. But I think something's coming, man. I, I know, you know, I, I trust there, there, has, there has to be something coming. There's just so much MMA between the UFC, just the UFC itself. They put on so much MMA on such a regular basis. People don't overreact to just good cards anymore. For you to get attention and you to sell out and you to make that big money and have that appeal, you have to be giving them Either a either really important quality fight or fight with guys who draw eyes, and and who 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 have you named? Who's a guy who's a big draw? I mean, Cerrone is probably the closest thing they have to a draw on the card right now. So unless they, I mean, and they they have very few actual legitimate draws in the UFC. I mean, they have guys who who were regionally pretty popular and have good hardcore fan bases, but guys who put butts in seats, who make people spend money, who make people come out to weigh-ins, they've got like maybe maybe 10 if I'm being really nice about it. So who are they going to bring in who's going to make this car, who's going to make this car an event in itself? Not just a UFC event, but an actual event. The Diaz versus McGregor from one and two was an event. GSP fights, events. Brock Lesnar fights, events. Uh, this seems like just another good card. Yeah, I, I can definitely get with you on that. Um, I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure like how they really fix it. Like who's really available for them to book in this position. I'm, but like I said, I'm sure they'll find someone to play that role. Um, it's just going to be. It's just going to have to come. They're just going to have to pull something out of their hats. Yeah, they will. I just, I just don't know who. I mean. I, I don't know who they're going to get to do it. I mean, I really, I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain. Who's the guy who's guaranteed to put out the numbers and someone who's who's available, who isn't coming off a fight or hasn't had some kind of injury or isn't recovering from a tough fight, who can come, who's going to come in and take that spot? Yeah, so that's definitely a um, good conversation there, a, a good conversation there. Actually, there's some other guys talking about it on Twitter right now about how UFC 200 is kind of impacting – UFC 205. So I think that this is going to be this is going to be one interesting conversation to watch over the next 
few weeks. Let's um let's continue moving, and I wanted to talk about um I actually want to change gears and I want to talk about Bellator for a second. Did you see the news about Cho Sonnen joining Bellator? Uh, I think that happened earlier this week. Yeah, I was I was pretty I was actually pretty interested pretty interested in that. That was a that's something that Bellator tries to get headlines, and this is definitely a headline-making move. Now, I want to talk about this in, in two different points. The first one is, are you interested in seeing Cho Sonnen fight again? Um, I, I, I don't know. He can talk his way into just about anything, and he can talk his way into an interesting fight, but is this something that, that you want to see? Like, Let's talk about that first, because I'm not too sure from a sports point of view it is i don't know that he i don't know that he's elite as in the ufc elite but the fact of the matter is bellator's middleweight division if he comes in at middleweight even though light heavyweight division isn't particularly you know isn't particularly robust they don't have necessarily a high caliber of fighters they have like three or four really good guys at the top maybe four or five and then it kind of thins out so if he comes in as a middleweight or a light heavyweight I mean, there's fights for him. There's people he can beat in Bellator, and being the kind of being the lightning rod that he is, talking the way he does, having had the exposure and the contacts and the the connections throughout MMA, he's bound to draw eyes. People just like the character he presents. His fights have never been particularly exciting. I mean, he really just takes guys down and controls them in all his fights. So he hasn't really been in exciting back and forth fights for the large majority of his career. Which he's got the reason he's got eyes on him is because people are fans of Chael Sonnen. They're fans of his beliefs outside the cage. They're fans of the character he plays as a fighter. They're fans of the character he plays as an announcer and as a salesman. So I mean, he's gonna bring eyes, and as good as is, even though he's not in his prime, based on what I've seen at Bellator's middleweight division, you can't tell me there's not people he can't beat. I think there's people in the UFC he could find a way to beat. So there's definitely people in the in Bellator who he could he could beat. I mean, there's guys who are made to order. Melvin Manhoff, great, great striker, but Chelsea and even if he's a rusty Chelsea, and should be able to take him down repeatedly and control him. I don't I don't know who I forgot the name of their champion, but they had one of the worst title fights in the history of title fights, and I can't say that Chelsea wouldn't beat him either. You know, I mean, there's there's fights out there for him to win. Uh, Shlomenko, dy- dynamic striker, but we saw what happened when he faced a bigger, stronger wrestler. I mean, Tito Ortiz is, is more shop-worn than Chael Sonnen, and he took him down and submitted him. And Chael Sonnen's a better wrestler, and in my opinion, a better grappler than Tito Ortiz at this stage. So, I mean, there's fights for him. There's He could work his way into contention, and, it, and it, depending on who's the champion, he could actually turn out to be a Bellator world champion if he plays his cards right, in my opinion. Man, could you imagine that? Could you imagine a world where... Joe Sonnen is a world champion in 2016. It's it's possible. People might tell me that he's faded, but who's the guy in Bellator's middleweight division who you feel is so dangerous that Chael Sonnen would have no chance with him? I mean, who's the guy? At middleweight? Uh, I yeah. Can't, yeah, I, I, I can't think of anybody. Um, not at middleweight. I know. Uh, it, I know. Rory Madonna was the first individual that called him out. But, yeah, I can't think of anyone else um, at 185 that would be that much of a threat to Sonnen at this point in time. But um, 
let me let me turn the conversation for a second. Let me ask you this question here because I read something pretty interesting today about Bellator and their growth. But there's a piece on SureDog about the, um, what Bellator is doing and whether or not the UFC should be looking over their shoulder in a sense. Like, is it time for them to begin to worry about Bellator? And I want to use this analogy just because it's there, but should they worry about Bellator the way the WWE originally started worrying about WCW back in those old Monday Night Wars days um, from, what, almost 20 years ago? Are we headed towards that? Um, Do you think that he is someone that can help push that conversation and uh, push that competition? The biggest thing, the reason, the biggest reason Bellator, UFC doesn't really have to worry about Bellator is just the depth, the depth of talent. Bellator has, oh, in every division they have like maybe two to five guys who who could compete in the UFC. The problem is after those two to five guys, it's a bunch of regional guys, it's faded names, it's guys who were retired and came back. So as far as the actual quality and content and level of fighter, the UFC doesn't have to worry because. Bellator, Be- Bellator's biggest selling point is their sponsor- sponsorship opportunities. But only guys who have real names or, or have real regional presence manage those sponsorship opportunities. So it's not like the UFC is going to be losing a ton of fighter to Bellator. Bellator. They might lose a couple name guys here and there if they don't take care of them. But the UFC has shown that they're willing to go out of their way to keep assets that they feel are more that could help Bellator or close the gap on them. When Gilbert Melendez was about to go, they overpaid him and gave him a title shot that he didn't really deserve because they didn't want to give Bellator any traction of having a guy who had just come off of a, a tightly contested world title title shot, an exciting fight of the night type fight with Diego Sanchez, and then have that guy walk into Bellator with all that, you know, with all that extra appeal and all that name value and, and then add, adding legitimacy to their division. They didn't want to have that. So they instantly paid him whatever he needed paid and brought him back into the fold. So and see and and when I think about that, you know, you mentioned something that's going to be very that's going to be a major catalyst to this argument, and that is fighter pay. I don't think necessarily right now. Yes, easily the UFC has they have the talent. They have the deepest talent pool in the sport right now. Everyone gets that. Everyone, no one would refute that argument, but a lot of guys are beginning to push that conversation that isn't going to favor the UFC for a long time. Like if you look at Al Iaquinta and the news about him, you know, basically throwing his hands up in frustration and just about being done with the UFC out of out of just simple idea that they he wants to be paid more money. Like he was basically banned from earning fight night bonuses for some ridiculous reason and now he's kind of just like you know i can't fight for the amount of money that they're willing to pay me he was actually supposed to fight thiago alves at ufc 205 which would have been a great fight i mean i I was looking forward to that fight when i saw it first announced but he basically pulled out because he's like i'm i'm not being paid enough and if these opportunities if fighters and he's a top and he's definitely a top 10 guy let me see he's a top uh he is He's number 13 in the UFC rankings, which don't mean crap, basically. But he is a ranked competitor, and he's someone that can draw attention, especially being a New York native as well, too, someone who's very vocal and very outspoken. So as these guys 
continue to have more more reason to stand up and make and make claims that they want more money, that they want more opportunities. I think that is what's going to cause this to be more of a competition than anything else. Well, that that works in one instance, but the thing about Bellator is Bellator is not necessarily interested in bringing in guys who don't have a certain name value, haven't, haven't proven an ability to move a needle. Aquinta's hardcore is like him. Some casuals like him, but he's not a needle mover. He, he, he needs a good name opponent for him to move the needle. You put in eight Diaz against anybody, people will pay to see it. You put Conor McGregor in against anybody, people will pay to see it. You can put GSP against anybody. Same thing with Cerrone. There's a certain amount of millions of viewers on free TV. There's a certain amount of people on pay-per-view who will pay to see those guys fight, regardless of who they're fighting, because they're such a fan of that guy. Aya Quinta isn't one of those guys. And the re- and what Bellator is looking for is guys who can move the needle. They'll even take guys who are on the decline or guys who aren't very good fighters. They'll take that one shot to give them a chance, to give them that shot in the arm. They did it with Shamrock. They did it with Gracie. Even with Kimbo. Kimbo wasn't anywhere near his prime as an older guy, as an older guy and as an older fighter. But he still drew eyes, so they invested in him because they knew they'd get their money back from him. I Quint is not going to go to Bellator and take a big hit on money because he knows sponsorships aren't out there. There's not a lot of sponsorships because of how the UFC has done things. Unless you're already in a guy who has a name and draws a certain amount of eyes and has a certain presence in the MMA landscape, which he doesn't have. I mean, he's a you could be a 13 rank fighter if you're super popular then that's not going to affect you. But he's not super popular. He's really not. And given interviews I've seen with him and how he's talked and how he's interacted, I haven't seen him talk this much ever in his career. This is the first I've really heard him and got to see elements of his personality and what he's about and and where he stands and his views and his character. He He's not one of those guys who stands out as far as how, how they are on a day-to-day basis. This right here is actually the most I've actually heard from Iaquina. And... And to be, and like I said before, Bellator is an option, but they're not going to be spending hand over fist just to spite the UFC. They don't have that kind. They're run by an actual business. They don't have that kind of money to throw away, and they're not gonna throw that money away. They want a return on their investment. You know, you get a Gilbert Melendez, even a Benson Henderson, somebody who adds some cachet, somebody who might draw some more eyes, somebody who adds legitimacy. Sure, Iaquinta adds some legitimacy, but once again, he's been out of action, and he's a 13th ranked fighter. It doesn't do a whole lot of good for Bellator, which already has a, you know, at least a decent level of competition in their 55 division. And what's interesting is I think that I think that that's a start. I mean, while he may not be a huge, huge name that garners a lot of attention, I definitely think he is a there. There's a starting point, man. Like they have Josh Thompson there, they have Michael Chandler, they have Benson, they have the the Free Air Brothers. So they have names that are kind of growing up and moving in the right direction so it'll be interesting to uh, see I, what happens over these years i don't i don't want to say that they should i i think they should get guys like that because the biggest thing in any division isn't just having name guys you've got it's like the same thing as having a, an athletic team you can't just have stars you have to have role players you have to have guys who do the dirty work and to flesh out a division to have legitimately good exciting balanced cards you have to have a competitive division from first to 20th you have to have guys who can fight even if they can't beat the elite guys who can push them and test them in different areas that's going to also draw a certain amount of attention because of the legitimacy of that division so i believe bellator should add those kind of guys in the thing about it is 
these guys are leaving the UFC because they want more money. And the question is, is Bellator going to overpay for guys? I mean, you you can't you can't overpay for a 13th ranked guy. You can't overpay for a 17th ranked guy. They won't bring enough for you to about to justify outpaying the UFC. And the UFC is the biggest biggest source of money in MMA. So that's that's the problem. They should bring those kind of guys in, but they're just not going to overpay for them. They and might see, as well just go with guys like Chael Sonnen. And you mentioned overpay. I think it'll be interesting to see what guys are offered. Cause like for example, um, Iaquinta, I think he just signed a new four fight contract, and I believe his payouts are twenty six to show, twenty six to win. Some is either twenty three or twenty six. But so that really isn't that much money when you think about it in the grand scheme of things of what guys are being paid. So. Again, it, it's it's small steps. I think that uh, I think Donald Cerrone only has one fight left on his contract, and it'll be oh no, actually no, he just signed a new deal, I believe. But um, it'll be interesting to see what some of these guys who are coming around, coming up on these last con- on these last few, few fights on their deals are going to be willing to do and what Bellator is going to be willing to pay. I think UFC may have their hand forced in some different ways but uh, it'll be interesting to uh, see. It'll be a story worth watching. When 2016 started, I definitely believe that fighter pay is going to, was going to be the biggest story of, of the year and right now that's kind of what it's shaping up to be. Yeah, it's, it's always going to with something like that, it's always going to be a big issue because people get so invested. There's two parties the people who are invested and want to see these guys get paid for the risk they make and other people who say, well, you choose to keep doing this. You can get a real job like the rest of us because every day people give up their dreams and their goals so they can support a family or take care of themselves. So some people resent fighters because they're like, why are you so different? Because you fight? No, if you don't like getting paid this and they won't pay you more, nobody else will pay you more, and you want to make more money, then like the rest of us, you should probably have to go do something else. And if you don't want to do something else, then you deal with the consequences just like anybody else who and graduates to become an artist and they're starting, they're starving and they're like, well, nobody will pay me enough. Well, I guess you better become a manager at Burger King and make enough money so you can live instead of complaining about your situation that you willfully jump into. Okay. Okay. That's definitely some good conversation points. So we're going to move on to our third topic of tonight. And we do have a UFC card this weekend with uh, UFC Fight Nights uh, 95 with... Christine Cyborg Justino facing Lena Landsberg. Um, there's a lot of, like, that's the main event. So let's start there. There's definitely a lot to talk about because there's the main story going on right now that Cyborg is just about, last I heard, she was 24 pounds overweight trying to make this weight cut. And, yeah, you know, there was always, there was always that conversation point about Cyborg can make 140. Why can't she make 135? We saw those videos, the video and the pictures during her documentary of her basically breaking down in tears during her last wake up when she fought Leslie Smith, barely able to make it. So what is the payoff for this? Do we keep letting, do we keep seeing Justine fighting at 140? Should the UFC go ahead and make this 145 pound weight class for her and just kind of just get it out the way and just like let her be that star there? Or do they continue to run the risk of her harming herself, shortening her career, or worse yet, not making weight and completely blowing up this card on Saturday or some other card in the future? Well, first of all, the UFC, as, as we've discussed before on the show, 
the UC is a, is a business. They don't, they respect the value of a fighter to a certain point, but what they really respect and they really appreciate and they really push forward is the value they have to fighters as the main brand in MMA. Big fan of having Cyborg in the UFC under these circumstances, because routinely over the years since Rana came out, the UFC has basically buried her and allowed fighters to insult her and make questions about her sexuality or her character or her quality as a fighter routinely. And I'm like, why would you go to be hired by a team, an organization that doesn't seem to believe in you? It hasn't gone out, out of the way to protect your name or your character or your image. I mean, Rana's, Rana's, Rana's just destroyed this girl in the press and the UFC has done nothing for such a valuable commodity air quotes there they've done no, they've done nothing to rein her in or rein anybody else in. they just let him tee off on her all the time so why do you and your team allow you to go to a organization that makes you fight below a weight that you, that's healthy for you and has done nothing but slander your character and your integrity as a fighter and as a person like it's just ridiculous to me and this fight fighting at 140 is is just silly because there's no there's no point it's a risk to her it's forcing some girl who might be a smaller 135 or medium sized 135 to move up to face a person who is a physically dominating and punishing fighter, a person who can take years off your career if you're tough enough to stay in there with her and go a couple rounds taking those kind, taking that kind of abuse. It's like a danger on both ends, and there's no end goal to it because there's not like there's a there's a 145 there's a 140 title that title doesn't exist. The weight division doesn't exist. They should make it a 145 weight class because the only person who, who, who regularly fights at 140 will be Cyborg. So why not just make it 145? Why not just add another division? Lots of girls will move up for a chance at its title and a chance at you know a, a restart, but they won't do that. So it seems like they have some kind of game where they're trying they're trying to extend her and they're trying to put her in a position where when and if she fights Ronda, she's going to be compromised and she's going to lose. Because making these kind of cuts, there's a price that your body pays for that. When you're cutting that much weight and it's putting that much strain on you, at some point that catches up with you. And if it catches up with her at the wrong time, it's a huge upset. If this girl beats her, it's a huge upset. It's a great win for her. It sets her whole career off in a new path. And it, it destroys any momentum and any legitimacy Cyborg has. Like, she can't really afford to lose at this stage. So if she loses, it's losing to a nobody. And if she can't make weight, it makes her seem unprofessional. And it makes her seem like a quitter because she didn't make weight and she's you know, she's got the history of being a drug abuser, a PED abuser. It just, there's a lot of ways this could go bad. And I don't understand why her team routinely exposes her to these, these risks and these dangers. I get why the UFC does it. It's a great story for them either way. It sets them up either way. I just don't understand why Cyborg would do it to herself. And from what I understood, this girl she's fighting is a legitimate fighter. She's probably the toughest girl she's fought in years. So you're facing the toughest, most skilled person you fought in years. And you're having a problem making a weight cut. And second time, that's it's a recipe for disaster in my in my terms. Whether it's short term or long term, it's a recipe for disaster. And I don't see why she subjects herself to it. There's, there's definitely some um, some great insight there. Uh, we have we're a few days away, so with this new rule that's in place with the early weigh-ins, it'll be interesting to see if she can make that weight cut and what she has to go through to get there but um this is this is you're right it is a concerning situation for her to be in um you asked the reason why she did it I, I mean obviously you know this is kind of the biggest opportunity in the sport for her she can continue fighting in 
Invicta and just continue blowing people away, which is one thing, but you may wonder but, why. But do you, uh, go ahead. Because no, once again, it's, it's somebody risking their health, their financial well-being, and their own integrity to their fans to fight for those three letters. You understand what I'm saying? They're not paying her Ronda Rousey. I don't, I, I don't know that they're paying her Ronda Rousey money. Maybe they are, and if they are, then I totally get it. But she's putting her long-term health and her long-term fighting career at risk, and she's compromising herself by losing this weight to where somebody who, who might not, not be a match for her at 145 might catch her slipping at 140. All because also she can fight in the UFC, which is the advantage the UFC has. People won't walk away no matter what Dana says and, and what bad situation they put them into and how little they pay them because they want to fight for the Super Bowl of MMA. And I don't understand how you put your health and your financial well-being second to fighting in the UFC. It just makes no sense. But here's another fighter who's been nothing but had dirt thrown on her and insulted and been questioned and doubted. And that's a him. And she's a man and basically fighting a man. Everybody said this. And here she is. The minute they say you can fight in the UFC, oh, fight in the UFC. You're crying to make weight. You're breaking down because it's breaking your body down. And let me do it again because they want me to. You know, I mean... At some point, she's got to take a stand. Otherwise, she's just going to hurt herself long term. Okay. Okay. I could definitely um, get with you on that. What do you What do you have thoughts on? Um, of uh, excuse me. What are your thoughts on this fight this weekend? Do you think she goes in and gets another highlight real win? Is this a, is, is this Landsberg someone that? Because I don't know much about her either. She's um, six and one coming into this fight. I think she's riding a five fight win streak. Uh, but is this a, is this a big fight here? Is this something that we should be we should really be interested in in, in seeing? Uh, is she going to is she going to be a threat to Cyborg in any way? Uh, I think with Cyborg, it's only the, is the same issue they have with Ronda. Every fight she has is an event because of the mystique of her. Because even though Cyborg's known to hardcores. And they've seen the highlights of her just devastating these women. I mean, it's it's like an assault. It's not even a fight when she, she attacks people. And Cyborg has actually improved. She's an aggressive counterpuncher. Her counterpunching is really sharp. Her timing is excellent. Her accuracy is a lot better than it used to be. She used to kind of cuff people with her shots. Now she's landing them real sharp. So you don't see people going as long because she's not just knocking them around. She's catching them right at the point of contact and putting them away. The thing about it is Cyborg hasn't been in a real fight where she's had someone push back in in practically years. She just hasn't had somebody who's taken a shot and fired right back. She hasn't had somebody who's been able to hold her up against the fence or when she takes him down, get back up or offer, offer any sort of offense. So in my mind, no matter how good you are mentally, you're used to people, you hitting people and people going away, you slamming people and people staying down. What happens in your mind when you hit somebody and they come right back? When you take them down and you can't hold them down, when you try to close distance and they pivot out, that's my question. And this girl, Landsberg, seems like she has some athleticism and some skills. And if she's ready for the moment and she's able to handle that, that pressure and that physicality of Cyborg, Cyborg might be in trouble because if she's having a tough weight cut, that first round, that's not a problem. That first two minutes, not a problem. Two and a half minutes, the problem is when you actually have to fight back. When you just get to pitch and the other person covers up and runs, and let you take take the center of the cage and dictate to them, you're fine. But what happens when that fight goes into a second round and a third round? You have to scramble. You have to fight to get position. You have to fight to hold them on a cage. That's when those weight cuts become a factor. 
because that that drains your stamina, which drains your legs, which drains your body, and eventually your chin catches up to that. So the question is, A, does this weight cut, and if, it, if she has to make a dramatic one, does a dramatic weight, weight cut impact her performance? And B, mentally, how does she handle it when a girl doesn't go away? And I don't mean just takes a beating and keeps coming out to take a beating. That's tough. What does she do when she starts putting it on this girl, and halfway through, this girl starts getting her timing and starts firing back? She starts eating leg kicks. She starts taking uppercuts. She's taking knees to the body. We don't know because nobody's been actively willing to push back when when a cyborg pushes on them. Nobody's been able to. Nobody's been willing to. So if this girl does, like I expect her to, what happens to cyborg's mentality? Everybody says they're prepared to go five hard rounds or three hard rounds. But when you've been blowing people out in one or two for the past three, four years, or your entire career, are you really prepared to go three or four, three or five hard rounds? I, I don't think you are. And cyborg, as good as she's gotten on her feet, she's still vulnerable. She still gets wild. She still gets over aggressive. She can be countered. There's things you can do to cyborg on the feet. It's just that she's so aggressive and so powerful, and she stays on you, and she sets such a pace, and she has such physicality that she overwhelms most girls. But there's things you can take advantage of versus cyborg. It's just nobody's been able to, to last long enough or nobody's been shown the poise and composure to really test her in those areas. But there, anybody who knows striking, anybody who knows fighting, knows there's things you can do to get to cyborg. It's just a matter of whether you can handle her athleticism and her physical talent. If you can match that up, if you can make that less of a factor, you can get to her. You can land on her. You can get away from her. You can tie her up. You can get her down. But that's a big if because so far she's been so far she's been so far above everybody she's faced as far as temperament, aggression, volume, cardio, and uh, strength. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see what would happen if a fight does go deep into those rounds. As you mentioned, like you never know what may what may go down. So we may find out. You know, like I said, I don't know too much about um, Lena Landsberg, but I may have to do some research before this fight just to kind of get an, an understanding of who she is. So let's um. I, w- I watched a couple of her fights. She, her striking seems. The, the striking in women's divisions often is pretty, on average, isn't very good, especially at the heavier weights, the bantamweight and the uh, featherweight is not as good as it is at strawweight and atom weight. They're much better strikers. There's much better transitions in the defense and offense. They're much broader sets of skill sets. She's, she seems like somebody who's actually a better striker than what than what cyborgs actually face, in my opinion. If I recall correctly, she's she used to be a Muay Thai champion, so there's a good chance that Cyborg might taste something that she doesn't like. And the only time we've seen Cyborg really extended, she did uh, that Muay Thai fight in Lion Fights where she fought a world champion in Muay Thai. And, you know, she showed a good chance. She showed power. She showed some skill. But she clearly showed that she was not a world-class striker. Like a world-class MMA striker, world-class striking ability, sure. World-class technique. No, Cyborg has holes that can be taken advantage of by a person who's got the skills, like legitimate skills and the poise to stand up to a pressure and fire back, to pivot out, to create some distance and walk her into shots and not just seek to get in her face and all that other ridiculous nonsense corners tell their fighters. If you've got legitimate stand-up skills, you can get the Cyborg. The question is, as I said before, can you stand up to that assault she has? Because her ability is beyond top-notch, in my opinion. Okay, all right. I can definitely appreciate that breakdown. So we're going to see uh, how that main event is going to um, come apart. I am 
definitely more interested in the story surrounding her weight cut leading into the night, but, you know, we still have a couple of days out, um, one more day out, actually, before she has to make weight. So we're going to see what goes down in this main event on Saturday. Let's talk about the co-main event with Hennen Burrell and Philippe Nover. Um, this, is a, this is a weird fight to me because on one hand, you have Hennen who is making that move up to 45. Uh, and then you have Nover who is someone who kind of, you know, made his way back into – the UFC in a weird fashion, you know, he was doing well in uh, when he went back to Ring of Combat. He went back to Bellator for a little while, you know, because he didn't. He first got cut from UFC in 2010 after losing three straight, and he made his way back, and now he's fighting at featherweight. But you know, I look at this fight against Hennon Brown. I think it's it's more of a showcase fight for Burrell. I mean, obviously, you know, he had his troubles at. Um, 35, he moved up to 45, and then he got basically picked apart by Jeremy Stevens. So, uh, Sean, talk to me about this fight. Is this is this something that grabs your attention, or are, are we seeing two guys that are definitely on the, the, the decline? They're they're trying to find some way to give Burrell a win because nobody really knows what Burrell has left. That fight against Stevens, he was good for about a round and a half, and then he started falling back into the old habits and letting – Stevens dictate the pace and control the range and control where the fight happened. They're trying to essentially give him a win by having him against a guy who's got some skills, some athleticism, but a guy who's never really had any sustained success of any note. Even in Bellator, he wasn't like a top contender, top fighter, and he's never been able to really put wins together in such a fashion where people will consider him even a fringe contender. So they're trying to give they're trying to get him a win. They're trying to let him acclimate to the weight class and see if he can make a run at featherweight. I mean, there's there's really not much to say because Burrell Burrell has holes. Burrell Burrell's great off his first two punches, but he tends to get a little wild with his punches. His defense has never been really great. And his cardio, even now, even at featherweight, it just doesn't seem like it's there to me. He's a guy who can make adjustments and who can do the right things as long as he's dictating the pace and controlling the turns of engagement. But once somebody starts pushing back, once a guy makes an adjustment, once a guy doesn't go away or, or doesn't capitulate to his volume and his power, he starts getting a little wild with his punches. He starts getting a little lazy with his defense. He starts he starts admiring his work a little bit, and he, he starts being even more defensively irresponsible than he is on average because a lot of his, his success is his range of strikes, his volume, and his athleticism. And quite frankly, I think those fights with I think making the way for 35 hurt him long-term. I think those beatings he took at the hands of Dillashaw, and they weren't just quick knockouts. Quick knockouts you can recover from, even if they're brutal. He took, you know, four- and five-round beatings where he's taken hundreds of hundreds of shots, clean, hard, devastating, punishing shots. And that's what actually takes away from your athleticism and your durability and your ability to recover. And I don't think he's ever going to get that back. It might get better because he's at a bigger weight class, so it's not as much of a drain in his body. But he no longer has that ace in the hole of knowing he can just take devastating shots from big, big punchers. When Stevens touched him, Stevens is a hard hitter. When Stevens touched him, he he, he didn't look like the same brow that I that I used to know. And I think that's from accumulated damage from those weight cuts and from those fights with Dillashaw. He should win this fight, and he, and he should win it in spectacular fashion. If he loses it, 
It doesn't tell me that Philip Nova is an elite guy or a name guy or a great fighter. All it tells me is that Hinn and Burrell needs to seriously consider retiring. Because Philip Nova isn't the kind of guy that anybody of Burrell's clout should be losing to. Philip Nova has never been that guy. And if Burrell loses to him, he's really got some hard questions to ask himself. Because Nova is pretty much the easiest, most non-threatening fight they could give him in division. I mean, to me, it's not. in a lot of ways, it's not even really a test. If Burrell was who Burrell was at 35, he would never... Nova would never get a shot at him. This is basically a setup fight for Burrell and for Nova. It's a uh, lottery ticket because he's getting a Burrell who's not as good as he used to be, who's not as sharp as he used to be, and he's going to have an opportunity to fight him and maybe pull the upset. Because and I, and I want fans to understand this: if Burrell comes out and he looks like he's a defensive wizard and what great counter punching and look at his crisp offense. Oh, he showed he showed Shawan. Shawan doesn't know what he's talking about. You have to look at who he's fighting. When you're fighting non-elite guys who you have huge advantages over in size, power, speed, skill, experience, and caliber of opposition, you might look like you can do it all and, and you're everything to everybody. The questions and whether you can do something or not, you don't prove that until you face elite guys, until you don't have the choice of doing it. When you have a guy who can put volume on you, we'll find out how good your defense is because you can no longer control someone's output and their aggression. When you tell me you've got knockout power, yeah, it's easy when a guy's just hiding and covering up and running away from you. Yeah, you look tough. Yeah, you look devastating. What happens with a guy who can take it? I don't believe you have world-class power until you start knocking out guys with world-class chins. I don't believe your defense is world-class until I start seeing you out-slick and out-maneuver world-class guys. So if he goes out there and he dismantles Phil Nover, that proves absolutely nothing to me except that he's better than a fringe, fringe contender in the UFC, which... He's a former champion. He should be better. I won't know anything about him until he fights a Anthony Pettis. He fights a Jeremy Stevens again. He fights a, um, a Oliveira. He fights a Max Holloway. Somebody who's not going to let him do whatever he wants. Someone who has the skills and physical ability to keep him from doing whatever he, he wants in that cage. Then I'll find out whether he's the same guy or he's better. Him beating Nova will prove nothing to me. And if Nova beats him, that proves nothing to me. That just proves that Burrell's not as good as he used to be and Nover's still the same guy. Until Nover shows some consistency, I'll never believe that he's as good as he, good as he thinks he is. And until Brown starts beating elite guys, I'm not going to believe that he's as good as he thinks he is either. Hmm. Okay. That's some interesting um, breakdown there. You're, very, you're definitely very uh, clear on what you expect from all these guys and women um, on Saturday. So let's move to the next fight which is Roy Nelson and Antonio Silva. So, yeah, two more guys who have struggles um, as of late, and they're definitely at different points in their careers. What do you think uh, is going to happen in this fight here? Roy Nelson should knock him out. Roy Nelson is slow to step, but the thing is, Roy Nelson can still take big shots. Derek Lewis cracked him, and Roy Nelson didn't go anywhere. He wasn't – he didn't maybe necessarily win the fight to other people. In my opinion, he did. He controlled, he controlled the pace the pace with the threat of the takedown. He controlled the, the range of where the fight took by constantly, repeatedly taking Lewis down and by landing some clean, but in a, it, wasn't, it wasn't consistent offense. So I can see the argument that he lost the fight. But he can still take shots. In the last couple of years, hasn't Antonio Silva been knocked out by pretty much every heavyweight he's fought? Uh, Arvlowski, Frank Mir, uh, who else? Kane Velasquez, like everybody who touches him 
puts him away ever since he had that fight with Mark Hunt, the first fight, his, it's like his chin just disappeared overnight. He can't take abuse at all. And if there's one thing that Roy Nelson can do is throw, is throw with power. If you can't take a punch, I don't know that you can beat Roy Nelson unless you're just a much better athletic specimen and you're just a much better technical fighter. If you can't take a shot, Roy Nelson is not the guy to fight because he's not going to be scared off by your power. Even if you drop him, Roy Nelson will go right back in there. And the minute you give him an opening, man, and the way Silva's been fighting, his defense has never been great. Can't take abuse either. Uh, that's a bad recipe. Your guy who can't get away from shots and your guy who can't take shots. Probably one of the heavy, who's still one of the heaviest hitters in heavyweight, if not MMA heavy, heavyweight division as a whole. So, I mean, how do you, you know, how else do I see that fight going? I mean, unless Nelson just completely fell off, I, I don't see how that fight goes anywhere but but a win by KO by Nelson. I mean, I guess he could win by decision. I don't think Silva's going to submit him. I don't think Silva's going to knock him out. I guess he could, but I, I'd have to see, you know, Nelson's only been knocked out by pretty much the hardest hitters in the heavyweight division, and Silva's not that hard a hitter, not not in my opinion. And he's slow. He's a lot slower than he used to be now, too. So I, I have so, to Nelson. Like, let's, like, like you, you brought up an interesting point about how Silva has lost his last couple of fights. Mm, yes. So if looking at his last 11 fights, he is he has three wins. Um, he's defeated Tra- – and this goes back to Strike Force back in 2011. So he defeated uh, Travis Brown, Alistair Overeem in 2012, 2013, and he, then he defeated Soa Pelelli in 2015. Other than that, he's lost one, two, three, four, five, six. He's lost seven fights, and all of them have been by some form of knockout and they've all been in the first round when he's been knocked out in the first round. And his only other, the only other fight is that draw against Mark Hunt in 2013. Yeah. It, I mean, I, to a degree, I'm almost surprised they still let him fight because, I mean, when you have that many knockout losses, it should, to me, it should raise some kind of red flag to me. To, I mean, it's one thing to get dominated, out-wrestled, and out-skilled because you're too slow. But when you're constantly getting your lights put out in the first round, that's a big source of concern for me in how his team isn't concerned. I don't know how the UFC isn't concerned because it seems like this guy's ability to take punishment just isn't there anymore. And if he can't take, that's the wrong division to not be able to take a punch in. The heavyweight division, you can't afford to not be able to take a punch in the heavyweight division. Yeah, that's definitely um, the bad, the worst group to have that issue. So, yeah, you're totally right there. Um does the loser of this fight get cut, though? If for some reason Roy Nelson lost it, which if some by some miracle, or he just is totally falling off the cliff, might keep him because he's been competitive with young up-and-comers. He was competitive with Josh Barnett. He beat Jake Rochal. I mean, a lot of guys who aren't in the UFC as heavyweights are guys who, who essentially started their decline when Roy Nelson put their lights out. So he's shown himself to still be a competent fighter and a gauge for especially young upcoming guys, these young athletic heavyweights. Roy Nelson's a good guy to kind of gauge and see what you have after you get him some seasoning and get him enough experience. So I could see them keeping around, keeping him around if he loses because um, he's been competitive in, in all his losses. Silva, I don't see how he's still in the UFC as it is now, except the division is just so incredibly thin. 
because he just he hasn't even been competitive. He hasn't in these fights. He I don't even think he's landed a strike. The first hard shot he's taken has essentially put his lights out in those six losses. I mean, you can't do anything with him. He's not a good barometer for talent. He's not a good. He's not even exciting anymore. It's basically when you need to rehab a guy and give him exciting knockout. But that only goes so far. When you have that many losses, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't get you back on the right track. It doesn't make you a contender. You're knocking out a guy who gets knocked out by everybody. Silva getting cut if he loses this fight. Roy Nelson, he's probably got another two or three fights in the UFC because he's a good barometer to test. Test test guys. He's tough. He's still seasoned. He hits hard. And when he wants to, he can wrestle and uh, work you on the inside. So he's a guy who can test young fighters or mid-tier fighters in different areas without overcoming them with athleticism and experience. He has enough holes in his game, which is going to give them opportunities to win and establish themselves as legit contenders. But he's also good enough to navigate those holes to expose the phonies and the frauds who are just built up on beating up nobodies in the heavyweight division. Okay. All right, so I appreciate that breakdown there. Let's look at some other fights that are worth talking about. Francisco Trinaldo and Paul Felder. Uh, Paul Felder is someone who, you know, I really have watched closely since joining the UFC. He's had his issues. He's lost some. He lost some close fights. Won some good ones there too as well. So let's talk to me about this fight, Santos, or excuse me, Trinaldo versus Felder. Who do you see taking it, and what is the what is the ceiling for both of, of these guys? I think Felder's got a really high ceiling because, I mean, he's young. He's, he's, he's super tough. He's very, he's very athletic. He's got a lot of power. And, and he's actually a dynamic striker. Like, when he was fighting Edson Barboza, they were, like, exchanging leg and body kicks. And, he, and most guys, when they take those body kicks from Barboza, you see them kind of shrink away, take a step back, and, and he continued to pressure them. He, he was looking for contact. He was looking to get into exchanges with Barboza. And that's, that shows you – what kind of durability he has and what kind of heart he has. The question with him is, is, is he going to fight smart? A lot of times his thing is big offense. He's spinning back fists and huge power kicks and spinning kicks, which is all great, but you have to have a middle ground. You can't – it's like football. You can't throw 60-yard touchdowns every time. you got to have a short passing game and you got to have a running game. And the question is, can he transition between those? Can he get on a jab? Can he cut the cage off instead of chasing? Can he apply deliberate pressure instead of instead of stalking guys and winding up for huge power shots and missing and getting countered? That's the question for him. He's got all the physical tools to be a champion, but he's actually got to diversify his approach and show some show some discipline. It's not a street fight. You don't have to go out there to kill the guy, or you can, but you have to kill the guy with the plan. You have to kill the guy with strategy. You have to kill the guy with deliberate pressure and focused aggression, not just going out there to put on a show and make a highlight reel. That kind of stuff gets you beat and eventually gets you out of the UFC. So I, I actually think the if he's if he's smart and he starts expanding on his skill set and kind of tailoring it down and using the smaller things like a jab, crisp footwork, um, a little bit sharper work on the hands, if he uses those things to set up the big – spots of offense, he'll be fine. But if he's just going to go all big offense and all pressure and all toughness again, um, he, he's, he's not going to go very far. It, the, that division he's in is too tough for him to get by on athleticism, striking, and power. That's that's not going to cut it in that division. Um, Trinaldo, I, I'm always very, I'm always a little bit iffy with him because of his age. 
when guys get to a certain age, I kind of wait for them to almost fall off. Like, at what point is it they can hit that wall and they're no longer able to take the abuse they used to take, have the speed they used to have, recover the way they used to have, or hit the way they used to have, they used to. I mean, I, I think if he was like five or six years younger, I'd actually say he has a chance to having a long career and, and possibly working his way up into contendership. I just don't know that he's going to be able, in that division as deep as it is. You have to put five, six, seven, eight, nine wins together before you get a shot at a title at a champion. I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain the pace and the consistency necessary to do that. Do that, do that long enough to get a title shot. There's too many guys who can test him in areas that are, they're going to question his gas tank and his versatility because the fights he's won has been guys he's had clear physical advantage over and physical strength and power and size. He hasn't really dominated guys who are better athletes in him or better athletic talents in him. So I, I don't know what he does when he gets to that higher echelon and he can't, he hits a guy and they can take that power and they can fire back with, with the same power he has or a guy when he gets his hands on him, he can't physically manhandle him or a guy who's not on the decline who can handle his pressure and won't kind of just give up certain areas and certain ranges to get away, to get away to the range they prefer to fight at or totally shut down so they can survive long enough for him to get in the position for the referee to reset it or for them to create an opening to fight in the spots that they're strong in. What is he going to do against a fully fleshed out athletic young guy who can match his athleticism? I don't know. I don't, I don't think he beats those kind of guys. Tony Ferguson's Michael Johnson's, all those guys give him problems because all those guys, he's not more explosive than, he's not quicker than, he's not stronger than, and he's not more athletic than. So once that advantage is taken away, I don't know that his skills in and of themselves are good enough to beat the elite guys in the division, you know? So I, yeah. I, think, okay. I think Felder has the higher ceiling. I think if Felder fights a disciplined fight, I think he wins it. I think he wins it. I think his striking's a little bit too dynamic. And if he just cleans up his setups and his entries a little bit, he should put Trinaldo away. I don't think Trinaldo's going to like that speed, that speed advantage and explosiveness, that first step that Felder has. I don't think he's going to be able to handle that. Uh, Trinaldo's not a super slick fighter. He, he's got his defense has improved, his combinations, his setups have been improved. But you can get to Trinaldo if you're willing to walk through a little bit of punishment. And Felder is willing to walk through punishment to get to his guy. And Felder's actual grappling game and his defensive wrestling has gotten a little bit better too. So Trinaldo's not going to have that to bail him out when um, when Felder starts putting those shots if if, if Felder put, starts putting those shots together on him. So I'm going to go with Felder just based off of athleticism, uh, youth, and the fact that he has been improving. I, I think he's got a, I think he's got more opportunities to win. I think he's got a bigger ceiling than Trinaldo. This is still a must win for Trinaldo because a loss in the 55 division just puts you way in the back of the pack and that's that many more fights you have to win in a row to be a legitimate contender, which Trinaldo still isn't. He's not a legitimate contender either. He's got another two or three fights in front of him. And I don't think he wins this one. Okay. All right. That's some good breakdown too. I'm, I'm not going, we're not going to go over the whole entire car. Cause there's just some guys I wanted to point out as I look at this event, let's talk about Gilbert Burns. Um, what are your thoughts on this guy here? You know, he's only lost one time in um, his, his career he's an exceptional grappler and he's someone that a lot of people were talking about when he first made his debut back in i want to say it was 2014 uh yeah 2014 he's someone that a lot of people were 
looking at as like someone who's going to make a run in this division. Then he had that um, that loss to uh, Rashid Magomedov back in 2015. So what are your thoughts on Gilbert Burns? Is, is he someone that is going to turn that corner and be a contender in the future? I think he has. He has a mindset. He doesn't just want to be – he doesn't just want to be a jiu-jitsu guy or just be an athlete. He really wants to be a world-class fighter. Like he, he has the desire and he has the will, not just to fight in the cage. That's what all those guys have. They have the will to try to win in the cage. I think he has the will and desire to do the preparation to put himself in position to win in the in the cage. He's already got a world-class jiu-jitsu, and I, I think he's a world-class athlete. I think athletically probably in the top 5-10% of guys in the UFC who I believe loves fighting. I think he really loves the process. I think he loves learning the different elements of it. I think he loves putting them together. And I think he loves testing himself against a guy who's been training to to counter and to defeat him. I, I, I think he really is one of those guys who loves fighting. Not all fighters do. A lot of guys are fighters, but not a lot of guys are in love with the job that they've chosen to take. And I think he is. And I expect him to be um, to be like a top top fifteen, top ten guy before the end of the year. I hope he does take that um, that challenge from Gary Tunin, though the no submission, the, excuse me, the no time limit submission match. I don't know if, if you follow competitive grappling as well, but that was something that was going on. That was um, some commentary that was going back and forth that uh, Tunin offered him to fight. Uh, he originally accepted, but then turned it down afterwards. So I'm hoping that that we get to see that sometime in the future. But um, I, I, would like, I would like to see. I would like to see that. I like a guy who would challenge himself in different realms. But once again, you know, the level of commitment it takes to perform in MMA might keep him from actually. You know, I mean, he wouldn't want to go into that event. The guys with his mindset wouldn't want to go into that event and get embarrassed by anybody. And when you're going against that level of, of grappler, you could be embarrassed if you're not specifically ready for that event you can't just roll out of bed no matter how good you are face the world-class guy on the mat and think that you're going to hold your own even if you've had world-class credentials before you have to specifically work and train for that which means he'd have to take time away from his progression in mma and then once he gets back to mma he'd have to reacclimate himself to the transitions and the environment and the pace and physicality of that other sport so he might not be willing to take that right away because of the the impact it could have on his standing and his development in the UFC. Yeah, I can definitely definitely get with you on that breakdown there. there there's another fight on the card that I'm looking forward to seeing too. Jusier uh, De Silva against Dustin Ortiz. These two flyweights who are hanging around in the in the division, um, but they haven't reached a point of contendership yet because they both slipped up. I think they've both lost to Joseph Benavidez at some point in time during these recent runs, but this is a fight I'm looking forward to seeing because Ortiz was someone that I was very um, very excited about in this division, especially Formiga as well. These are two guys who are very diverse in their games. Formiga's probably one of the best grapplers in the division, um, the best submission artist uh, in the division outside of Wilson Hayes as well. And or Ortiz is one of those all-around guys who can just get it done. Talk to me about this fight here and, and who do you see taking the win? I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with Ortiz because I think he's the more acclimated to MMA and I think he's actually the more durable guy and and a lot of MMA success in MMA is gonna be based on your ability, your experience, and your durability. A lot of fights in MMA come down to those two things: guys who ha have been in various positions, have faced 
a certain caliber of guy who know what they're going to do when they're when a, they push an opponent and then push an opponent pushes back. I know Formiga is like, I know he's a good fighter. I know he's got some skills and everything, but I've just never been a lot of, I've never had a lot of faith in his physicality. I've not, never had a lot of faith in his ability to absorb punishment and to maintain a certain amount of aggression when on the receiving end of punishment. Some guys kind of falter a little bit and some guys, like you said, they some guys push back. Some guys will kind of give ground and some guys won't give ground. I don't think Ortiz will give ground. I think Ortiz has consistently fought a better level of co- competition, at least in the UFC. And I think he's more durable. And I think at this stage, he's he's the more physical fighter and, he, and he's more of a fighter. I don't, I don't think Formiga has much form on the feet. And I think if Formiga gets touched up on the feet and gets hurt, I think that's essentially it. If Ortiz gets hurt or Ortiz gets in a bad spot, I know Ortiz will struggle. He'll fight through to get improved position or to come back. And I've, I've seen him take big shots and fight his way back into fights, make fights competitive. I, I don't know that Formiga is going to do that. I don't know how he is when he's not in control or dominating guys. He, he hasn't shown a lot of durability in the UFC and he hasn't shown an ability to work out of bad spots in the UFC either, in, in my opinion. He's he's always he's kind of a front runner in my sense, and with that kind of skill set, you can afford to be. But against this caliber of athlete, especially with as many people train you train MMA, many guys have access to world class jujitsu guys or world class fighters. That's not a big enough advantage in my opinion anymore. And I don't know that he's good enough in the other areas to beat a guy like Ortiz. Ortiz not elite, but Ortiz is the kind of guy who can test any anybody because he's good enough in all the areas you're not going to be able to force him into a position that he doesn't want to be in or keep him in one. You have to be a certain level of athlete. You have to have a certain mentality of a fighter. And I don't think Formiga has either one of those. Okay. All right. Good. Um, some good breakdown there. Uh, let's talk about one other fighter I'm, I'm interested in watching. That's Eric Silva. Uh, he's someone who I think got overhyped way too quickly, um, especially after that uh, that fight for – a fight against John Fitch, where he lost and he was back and forth. Um, it was it was definitely some some interesting. It was it was created some interesting dialogue because I I think that he was someone who was well overhyped and now that we kind of see that the UFC has kind of pulled taking a step back on him um, and they aren't as compelled to push him forward as they were the first time around. So talk to me about Eric, Eric Silva. Is he someone that we're ever going to see become that star that he almost did what seemed to be like years ago? He hasn't. I don't think he really has a complete enough game. I mean, he's an athletic guy. He's dynamic offensively. But the fact is he's never been able to put offense together consistently. It's always been in these huge highlight reel moments of offense. But it, And you've only seen that against guys who aren't of a top level. He's never really put that kind of offense together against the best guys in the division. Every time he's kind of stepped up, he's essentially lost, and he's lost in a spectacular fashion. Um, I mean, Silva's got a look. He's got an interesting style. He's got, a, he's, got a, he's got an array of skills, but his cardio, his inability to be defensively responsible – and his inability to maintain any sort of pace in a fight is what's routinely gotten him beat. He can't. He just can't maintain it. He has these moments 
of dynamic offense. And if he doesn't finish you, then essentially the fight becomes the fight turns and it never turns back in his in his favor again. It happened with Matt Brown. He came out throwing heaters in these exchanges. You know, he hurts him. But once once the tide turned, he was never able to come back. And they hyped him up because he was a young, good-looking, exciting kind of guy who had a lot of stoppage wins and dynamic stoppage wins. But he hadn't, he's never shown really the awareness or the dedication to the crafts or the ability or the IQ to be considered elite in a division that requires you to be more than just a top end athlete for you to compete. It's too deep. It's too deep a division for you to get by on athleticism and inconsistent offensive bursts. You actually have to have more of a fully rounded out game. Your physicality and your cardio has to be on point. And those two things have never been strengths, never been strong points in his game. As long as he's got the athletic advantage, as long as he's facing a guy who can't compete with him on that front, he's fine. The minute he faces a guy who's got the durability to take his shots in the hard to come back or a guy who can match him athletically, he never looks as good as he should. He just never has. And I and in regards to what happens this weekend, his time as a contender is pretty much gone. I, I, I don't know what top welterweight they have that I'd say that he beats like he can beat somebody because he's so dynamic. But based off his showings, I can't name the, the the number one, the top one through five welterweight that Eric Silva beats. I, I can't name yeah, him. Yeah, I can't either. Um, I always thought that he was dangerously overhyped, and now that we're kind of seeing that come to fruition, come come to fruition, uh, where we're curious. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that this guy is going to be able to live up to that hype that was created all those years ago when he did have that great fight against John Fitch. He struggles when he faces like the upper echelon welterweights. And I don't think that there's anyone, even like I'm looking at the top 15 rankings right now. And, you know, you can put him in there with maybe like a Johnny Hendricks, maybe. Um, but other than that, like maybe a Rick story, but I'm looking at all the rest of these guys. And I think that he loses to every one of them. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that he could beat a Rick Story. His offense isn't consistent enough. He he's essentially a guy who tries to apply pressure and then he counters with he when you come back at him, he counters with these flying knees and big punches. It, it's always ones and twos. You don't ever really see him put together four or five punch combinations, punch and kick combinations consistently. He just doesn't do that, and he's not a hard guy to hit. He's hard to hit if you can't get away from his shots or you're afraid of exchanging with him. Once you take that away. Anybody can hit Eric Silva. Anybody can hit him. Anybody can put hands on him. I mean, with his power and his athleticism, he can finish anybody. But the fact of the matter is the guys at the top end of that weight have are prepared for athleticism. They're prepared for quick hands. They're, they're, prepared, they're prepared for dynamic offense. He's not going to catch anybody of that level of fighter off guard with those things. And that's the biggest advantage he has. Once that doesn't work for him, it's like he doesn't have a game plan. He doesn't know how to adjust, or he just doesn't have anything else to adjust to. I don't know if that's a matter of his team not preparing him, or it's just a matter of him not taking it seriously enough to develop those skills. But he's essentially the same fighter he was been, he's been since he came in the UFC two or three years ago. He's the same guy. He hasn't gotten noticeably better in any area. He hasn't won a fight in a way that's different than the way he was winning fights when he first got in, and he loses fights the same way. It's like there's been no real noticeable growth, like little minor things here and there, nothing really noticeable that you can hang your hat on and say, you know, he's learning the process. He's, he's gotten better. He's lost some athleticism. He's lost some explosiveness. And now those losses are coming to even 
lesser level of fighters now. That's the only thing that's changed. He's not the athlete, and he's not as durable as he used to be. Good, good, good breakdown there. So, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna wrap the show up. We're gonna bring it in into a close because we've definitely covered a lot um, in the world of combat sports today, and there's still some more that we could talk about. But we're going to wrap this show up, man. Let's um let's talk about what are some things you're working on and where can people catch your commentary on on sports. Uh, as usual, I'm usually I'm usually on Twitter, especially on fight nights. I'll, I, you know, I I'm tweeting the action. I'll, I I'll address what the fighters are doing. If they let you in, here at the corner saying, I'll let you in on what the what the corner saying and what they should be saying, and what they're saying wrong. I, I like to give a lot of commentary because a lot of people just have that outside perspective on MMA, but they don't really understand the mistakes that are being made in preparation or the mistakes that are being made in execution that are costing fighters fights. They just see, you know, one guy go in and one guy go out and this guy's losing because he's a better fighter. And it's not always because someone's a better fighter. It's sometimes a matter of who's more prepared, whose team has a better connection and whose team has developed, developed a strategy that's effective enough to beat a guy instead of just, you know, having them hit pads and roll around the ground and say, hey, my guy can beat this guy anywhere and all that other ridiculous nonsense that corners and coaches and teammates say on a regular basis at any given UFC event. So you can always hit me up on Fight Night, and if you want some opinions or you want me to expound on something, maybe a, an announcer or a fighter who's calling the fight is said, I'm more than willing to do it because I, I talk to these guys. I talk to these guys a lot, so I have an idea, a line on how they think, and oftentimes we talk about certain fighters, so I know exactly what they think and how they feel about somebody's preparation or their execution. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Usually I'm there. If I'm not, uh, always direct message me. I'll get back to you. Sometimes I'm working on scouting reports for fighters and you know, they want their stuff when they want it. <laughs> they have no patience at all. <laughs> good, good. Well, um, as always, you can follow me at R Garcia underscore sports. You can catch me there. Um, you can catch my work on MMAratings.net. You can catch us, me and Adam Martin are definitely doing a lot of work there. And it's, and this podcast will be posted there too, for your viewing throughout the week. And yeah, you can definitely catch a lot of our work. We're doing some great things over at, over at the site. So I appreciate you listening to this show today. Be sure to give it a like and a share on YouTube and follow us and just check us out. Stay and, and, and stay hungry for the sport of mixed martial arts. Um, have a great day, everybody. Great. Have a great day, guys. Thanks.